1: people beside you and with you in ministry that are like-minded we can't do this by ourselves ministry is not someone by themselves doing this it takes a group of people to minister to other people people who come alongside you and encourage you people who come alongside you and strength and sometimes just being your friend is so important i love this picture of paul coming into a brand new town not knowing a soul, looking
0: around, and he finds two people there who are tent makers just like him. Being a lone wolf is, well, lonely. Today, Pastor Dave makes it clear that you weren't meant to do ministry as a solo artist. Ministry can be hard, grueling, discouraging at times, but when you rally with others, God can create a strong bond of unity and cause you to be more effective than if you tried to do it on your own. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 18 as he begins his message. Here comes the cavalry.
1: You are sure. One of the things that I remember most about growing up in Camden is going to the movies on a Saturday night with my mom and dad. This was a pretty regular thing. We would go all the way downtown to the Broadway Theater, which sat on Broadway, surprisingly enough, in Camden. And usually they always played a double feature. It was always a double feature, and my mom always got to pick when we would go, and she loved Westerns. My mom loved the Westerns, and today the Lord took her home to be with him. And she's probably up in air right now telling the Lord all about the Westerns that she loved. Because i tell you what, if she wasn't reading a Western novel, she was watching Westerns on TV. And when AMC came out, she thought she had died and gone to heaven because they played tons of Westerns. Well, she loved Westerns. Anyhow, we would always go and see these double features of Westerns. But you know, these Westerns in those days always had the same plot. A group of settlers or somebody would be out there, you know, and they would be going along. And all of a sudden, all these Native Americans would start to attack. They all come from all kinds of places, you know. And then the the settlers in the wagon train and all these guys had had to kind of huddle up and they all had to get around and they had to get their guns out and they had to withstand these attacks, right? And you notice these movies are all the same. And I love them, though. I used to love them and I used to watch them and I used to really root and cheer, you know, for the good guys, whoever they were, I really didn't know at the time. But they would always cower. And then at night, you know, they would talk about the good old days and how they want to get out of there. But the Native Americans had them surrounded. You notice how the Native Americans always attacked three times. They always attacked three times. The first time was a light attack. The second time was a little bit more. And the third time was really big until they were almost out of ammunition and people were hurt and people were shot with arrows. And a couple of them came in and there was fights and stuff like that. And then they would sit around the night before the big attack. They knew where they were coming and they knew that it was going to be the one last time and they knew they were all going to die. They were goners. And they would sit around. They would reminisce. And they would talk. And they would go. But there was always one person. There was always one person who goes, don't worry. The Calvary's going to come. The Calvary's going to come. And they're going to save us. Ah, you're crazy. They're too far away. We sent somebody. And he probably was killed along the way. And sure enough, at daybreak, the big attack happens. And they're coming in and they're fighting. And you can see this one falling and that one falling. They're fighting. And the hero and the heroine are sitting there. And they're doing this thing. And all of a sudden, in the background you hear... And somebody would go, "Do you hear that? What? Hear that? There's guns. There's Native Americans screaming all over the place. How can you hear anything? But he heard it. And then they came. In swooped the cavalry. Yay! The U.S. cavalry comes charging in. And they scare off all the Native Americans and they all run away. And they rescue the day. The Calvary had come. Hey, cool. Now, how the heck does that fit with our scriptures today? Well, I'm glad you asked. Today's message is called, Here Comes the Calvary. Here comes the Calvary. In today's text, Paul had arrived at Corinth from Athens. He's pretty beat up. He's pretty beat up. He had a rough time in Athens witnessing to these philosophers on Mars Hill, even though several of them did believe and come to Christ. I'm sure Paul was beginning to feel kind of lonely since Silas and Timothy hadn't come yet. His buds hadn't arrived yet, and he was all by himself. He was discouraged, not only at the harvest in Athens, as we discussed, but some believe he might have been upset because he might have been thinking that he didn't deliver the message that he should have at Athens. In other words, something that he might have been feeling that he had compromised the message and not delivered that. We had talked about that. Needless to say, Paul had been through the ringer in Athens. Commentator R. Kent Hughes describes how Paul might have felt. And I particularly like that. He says, and I quote, In today's terms, Paul may have felt like a football that had been taken the right bounce and refused to be fumbled, and yet every time this team scored, he was spiked to the turf, turf unmercifully and then kicked the length of the field. In fact, the better he performed, the more he was spiked and kicked. The last punt from Athens, though apparently voluntary, was particularly grievous to Paul's passionate heart. No one likes to be called a sea picker or a hazy. Unquote. So Paul was making this fifty-mile journey from Athens to Corinth, and he was all by himself. I'm sure as he was walking, he had plenty of time to think about what had happened and what had transpired. Remember, after these things, he had thought all about that. And I'm sure, while he was making this journey, he was speaking to the Lord. He was praying. He was praying to the Lord, where did I go wrong? Did I go wrong? What happened? He was questioning. He was asking for comfort. He was asking for strength as he walked along his way, going to the next town. Maybe the Lord would show him possible errors that he had made. I don't know. But as I said, I'm sure that while he was making his journey, there was somebody right along with him who was nagging him. Mr. Satan himself was walking right behind him going, you call yourself a witness. Look, hardly anybody accepted at Athens. Who do you think you are? You don't even know what you're doing. You think you're called. You're nothing but a murderer. You don't even belong in the ministry. You're not even qualified to be in the ministry. Who do you think you are? And yeah, 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 I can see. And Paul was feeling like that all the time and was becoming more and more discouraged as he walked those 50 miles. Remember, That probably took him at least two days, at least two days to walk that length. Many believe that Paul was in despair during this time. Many believe that he was severely discouraged. We'll get to that in a minute. Sometimes in ministry, there is an enormous feeling of loneliness. Sometimes when you're in ministry, there is this enormous feeling that you are all by yourself, that you're completely alone. And there's no one in the ministry except you because no one cares. Sometimes you feel that way when you're in the ministry. This is a prime time for Satan to come by your side and attack you. It's a prime time for him to come by your side and ask the same questions that he probably asked Paul. Who do you think you are? Do you think you're really qualified to preach God's word? Look at your past. Look at where you've come from. Who do you think you are? Are you really called by God? How dare you to be so presumptuous that you would even say you heard God's voice? What's wrong with you? I know just how Paul felt. Satan says, look at these sins. Look at his past failures. And you're not even saved. I know those feelings from Satan. I felt those feelings from Satan. I felt how he walks along and questions. And you call yourself a pastor. Look at the fruit of a the ministry. There's no fruit. You have no ability. You keep making mistakes. I know how Paul felt. I know how Paul felt. But Paul enters Corinth. Remember, Corinth is the Las Vegas of the ancient world. And as he enters Corinth, a series of events happen that are orchestrated by the Lord. And what happens here is these are orchestrated by the Lord to do nothing than encourage Paul. These things that happened in Corinth at first encourage Paul. They embolden him and they increase his confidence and they strengthen his spirit because the Lord says, here comes the Calvary. Here comes the Calvary, Paul. And we're going to take this by surprise. I'm going to look at five things that I think encourage Paul and embolden him. And when we look at verse 1, we see the familiar after these things. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, you know, the mission field and ministry is a hard place to be. But Paul had been in the thick of it now for several years. We Remember the mob chasing him out of Antioch? We studied that. Remember when he was stoned at Lystra? Remember when he was beaten and imprisoned in Philippi? Remember the mob and the death threats at Thessalonica and Berea? And then remember we talked about the disappointment at Athens with the philosophers? These events had taken a toll on Paul, both physically and mentally. I'm sure right now he was disillusioned. I'm sure right now he was dispirited, but he kept on going, being driven by the Holy Spirit and being driven by this passion he had for the Lord Jesus. But he was growing weary. Satan likes to wear you down, he likes to wear you down. And he keeps coming at you and keeps coming at you and keeps coming at you thinking, I'm eventually going to wear this person down. I'm eventually going to win over this person. What happens next in Paul's life in this story is truly the providential hand of God as the Lord has now arranged these things in Paul's life that are going to embolden him. What does embolden mean? Embolden simply means it gives boldness. It gives courage. It simply means it encourages When Paul arrives in Corinth, the Lord gives him just the encouragement he needs to keep going, just the encouragement that he's been looking for and has been hoping for and been praying for. The Lord will do the same for us. The Lord will do the same for you. Trust me on this. The Lord will do the same for you. When you suffer discouragement, when you suffer disillusionment, when you become weary, the Lord will cause things to happen in your life that you will look at and go, wow, and you'll be encouraged by those things. Maybe some of the same things that we're going to study today. You'll be encouraged and you'll be lifted up and go, yes, Lord, I can continue in your word. I can continue in your service, Lord, because now I'm encouraged by you and you alone. I know you haven't left me. I know you haven't forsaken me. We need that. We need that. There used to be a commercial on T that said, everybody needs a little help now and then. I don't know if you've ever heard of that commercial or not, but I won't even tell you what they advertised. But the Lord said, everybody needs some help. Everybody needs help. So we see as we go to verses 2 and 3 that Paul's despair is somewhat shortened. It's short-lived for a, for a little while. Because the first of these five events occur. He meets fellow workers in leather, tent makers, just as he was, and they embolden him. They give him courage. Let's look at verses 2 and 3. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had recommended all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. I love this two things here. First of all, number one, we see Scripture confirming history. I love this one. Scripture actually confirms history because the historian, the Jewish historian Josephus records that in 49 AD, the Emperor Claudius, because of his anti-Semitism, threw out all the Jews from Rome. He got rid of them. And this is recorded in, in the historian books. So Aquila and Priscilla, who were in Rome, now leave, and they happen to settle in Corinth. Now, we don't know whether they were believers or not before Paul met them. We have no idea. I'm thinking maybe they weren't, because why, if you were a believer, why would you settle in Corinth? We just said it was the Las Vegas of the the ancient world. It was one of the most decadent cities available. But they did settle there. But notice here that Paul meets a man and wife who are tent makers just like him. And he stays with them. And this work in now helps him to support himself in the ministry. Because now he can do the things that the Lord is wanting him to do. He can support himself in this ministry that he's being given. And these two become instrumental in Paul's ministry. And they become co-laborers with him. We know from Scripture that they serve Paul faithfully. And risk their lives for him, it says in Romans 16, verses 3 and 4. They assisted Paul in Ephesus. We're going to read that very shortly in Acts 18 to 28. They even hosted a home church there. And they were extremely important to Paul and as his team members, and Paul thanked the Lord for them. When Paul met these two, he became encouraged. He became emboldened. The Lord had arranged this meeting, no doubt. It was indeed a divine appointment. The Lord had arranged these two to be there. The Lord knew the way Paul was feeling. He knew that he had heard Paul's prayers, and he was strengthened in our servant's heart, Paul, for the work that was yet to come. The Lord was answering these prayers. It is so important to have people beside you and with you in ministry that are like-minded. We can't do this by ourselves. Ministry is not someone by themselves doing this. It takes a group of people to minister to other people, people who come alongside you and encourage you, people who come alongside you in strength, and sometimes just being your friend is so important. And I love this picture of Paul coming into a brand new town, not knowing a soul, looking around, and he finds two people there who are tent makers just like him and who are like-minded like like him, and they take him in, and they comfort him, and they bring him in, and they kind of show him the ropes of making tents, and he works with them. I love this because guess what? This happened to me. It happened to my wife. In 2010, we came down here. We came down here and left Vineland. We left everything we knew in Vineland, all our friends, everything. We came down here to come into ministry, to take over this church. We've been asked to come. And we came down here. We didn't know anybody. Oh, I knew some of you by your faces that I had been here before. I had recognized you. But we didn't know anybody. And we came down to this city that we did not know. All the fellowship was gracious, and they welcomed us. They welcomed us with smiling faces, and they wanted us. But there was one couple. There was one couple that welcomed us in. There was one couple that took us into their home, entertained us. Got to be our friends. Got to find out who we were as people. Got to know some of our hurts and some of our pains. Just, we're our friends. Now, since then, other Priscilla's and Aquila's have come into the church. Other Priscilla's and Aquila's have come in, and they've come alongside us, and they've strengthened us. And, and, And they've given us hope to continue in this ministry because it's a tough, long road, guys. It's tough being in the ministry. It's tough. And these guys, you all come alongside us and you help us. And I'm not in here by myself. That's what ministry is about. We're all in this together, folks. But we've got to come alongside one another. We've got to know more than just church. We've got to see the love of Jesus Christ in you, in your home, and in your house, and in your friends, and your families. We, we need to know each other. And it's so important. It's so important. The Apostle Paul finds out the best lesson in the whole wide world is that you're not alone in ministry. You're never alone in ministry because, number one, the Lord's there, and the Lord always has these divine appointments. He sets you up with people, people who just love you, people who just love you. And it's so important. No wonder Paul was emboldened by this fellowship, by this couple No wonder he was excited. He could work, make intents, and then he could do what the Lord had called him to do. He goes into the Sabbath and he reasons with them about Jesus Christ because now he has the money to do so and he's encouraged. He's supporting himself. He's witnessing Jesus Christ. I mean, after all, that's why Paul went to Corinth. He went to Corinth to witness Jesus Christ and possibly start a church. Look at verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Paul reasoned and persuaded both Jews and Greek in the synagogue. We know from past scriptures that when Paul went to the synagogue and he reasoned with them, he spoke of Jesus as the Messiah. That's what he spoke about. We know that when he persuaded them, he convinced them, whether by arguing or giving evidence that Jesus is the Christ. We know that because we read that before. Paul was beginning to feel more like himself. He was back in the synagogue, and that was his home. He loved the synagogue. I mean, after all, read his his resume in in, in Philippians 3, you know, a Pharisee of the Pharisee. I mean, he loved the synagogue, and that's where he belonged, but he was preaching the Word of God. He was preaching Jesus. In the beginning of verse 5, the first couple words there, we see the second encouragement that the Lord sends to Paul. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia. Ah, the old gang is reunited. Silas and Timothy come from Macedonia. They finally make it. They finally come, and they come there. And Paul must have been so excited to see them, to see Silas, his partner, and to see Timothy, his son, in the faith. To see, Timothy, this really must have given him charge. It really, because he's emboldened when he sees these two, and his preaching sort of changes. Many believe this is where he became so determined to preach Christ and Christ crucified. And we found that, we've read it already, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 3. Paul says to the Corinthian church, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. His buddies arrive. Friends give you courage. Friends give you strength. You know my history. I've spent years as an educator, and I broke up many fights during that, both male and female, and it's funny, when you're breaking up a fight, the person who's being encouraged by his friends is all the more wild to fight, because his friends are there. As a teacher, if you call a student out in front of his peers, they can't back down. They can't back down because all the friends are looking. Their friends are giving them courage. This is what's happening to Paul. Paul sees his buddies and he's encouraged. He's excited. His passion for the gospel increases. He said, okay, they have my back. I'm going in. Let's go. I'm going in. Look out. They have my back. So we see Paul emboldened by these new acquaintances that he's meeting, and he's emboldened by the, the reunion of these fellow ministries, and of these ministers and these missionaries who come with him. But thirdly, he's also emboldened by the gifts that Silas and Timothy bring. Now, it's not in the Scriptures. It's not in the Scriptures, and we have to search the Scriptures to find out exactly where this is from. But it appears that when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, they bought gifts. They bought gifts to Paul. Now, one of them, you might know, well, that's not much of a gift, but it really was to Paul. The first thing they brought, the first piece of encouragement they brought was news from Thessalonica that they were doing wonderfully. The Thessalonian church was just witnessing to everybody in the entire region, and they were gangbusters for Christ. You can't believe what this does for an evangelist. You can't believe what this does for a missionary to hear that people that he has witnessed to, people that he has led to the Lord, are now serving God and serving wonderfully and making a difference in their community. And Paul was emboldened by this. In fact, he wrote the first letter to the Thessalonian church from Corinth. And he says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also see you, therefore, brethren, in our affliction and distress, we are comforted concerning your faith. There was comfort when Paul heard of their faith. He was excited about that. It was an enormous encouragement from Paul, and it gave him even more strength. We can do this. These guys are, these guys are making a difference. Wow. Look what the Lord's doing in their lives. It's so important to see that. The second thing that happens is when Paul, excuse me, when Timothy and Silas arrive, they brought a financial gift from Philippi. They bring Paul money to do the ministry, a financial gift. We read in Philippians 4, verses 15 and 14, he's telling the Philippian church, nevertheless, you've done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Paul speaks again when writing the second letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 11.9, he says, And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one for what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. Supply. And then everything I kept for myself from being a burdensome to you, so I keep myself. Paul was excited because this gift comes. And now he's really getting excited. This is wonderful. This this financial gift now helps him to devote full time to his ministry. You are a sure hope.
0: You've been listening to A Sure Hope Radio with Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave comes to us from Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. In today's message, Pastor Dave is in the book of Acts. In this book, you'll hear about many people who had been eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They were now going to tell others about Jesus, and many were coming to a saving faith. If these disciples were just following some flash-in-the-pan rabbi, they wouldn't have been so eager to risk their lives for the sake of telling about this good news. No, it's because they saw it lived out, and they saw the greatest miracle of all happen. Jesus dying and then rising again. What an incredible time to live. So when you're facing opposition and persecution for following Jesus, remember that these disciples did too, and they were willing to face the ramifications for such faith. If you're wrestling with what this means to have a saving faith, we'd love to seek God in prayer with and for you. You can email us your requests at info at If you'd rather call, we can chat with you on the phone too. Our number is 609 609- That phone number once more is 609-884-5821 Anything else you'd like to know about can be found on our website AssureHopeRadio.com We've come to the end of our time together for today but we'll be back next time as Pastor Dave shares some more great things from the Bible here on Assure Hope